Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can your workplace be haunted? How much can you trust a psychic who says that their guides, quote-unquote, are suggesting that you do this or that? How do near-death experiences jive with our multiverse ideas about the paranormal? Jive. <laughs> well, hey there, and welcome to the 218th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those many varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So we're going to do an open line show tonight because our scheduled guest had to cancel, so it's what, the third week in a row we've had to do this. Well, no, uh, people haven't – well, they're – well, the, the – it, by the way, while we're at it, I would ask for some prayers and good thoughts for uh, Steve Alton. He was scheduled for our CBS show uh, two weeks ago, and, and he had to cancel because uh, we wondered why. And it turned out his father passed away uh, just before the show. It was, yeah. it was really awful. So Steve Alton, New York Times best-selling novelist, will be be with us again uh, in March. He, he's going to reschedule for our, probably the CBS show or this, whatever. But anyway, just uh, prayers and good thoughts to uh, Steve Alton. So our prayers go out to him. So we're going to catch up on some really interesting emails. We'll also talk about the paranormal headlines, and we'd love to hear from you. So the local number in the local listening area is 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. Of course, we'll start with our weekly paranormal contest. Okay, so last week's question was, in what country is the Festival of Hungry Ghosts held? And the answer is China. Yeah, the Festival of the Hungry Ghosts, or Yue Lan in Chinese, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, is held on the 14th day of the seventh full moon all over China. Chinese tradition has it that people who die with no, no one to bury them, uh, such as at sea, or are murdered or have no family, wander around the world in, in um, this day of darkness. The uh, festival is supposed to protect people from restless, unruly, or hungry ghosts, much as uh, our similar traditions in other countries. Hungry ghosts, uh, you know what that sounds like? Yeah, it sounds parasites. like parasites, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what the ancient Babylonians called them. Yeah. Anyway, these traditions come out of some kind of human experience. One of the strangest manifestations of the Yuelan Festival are the offerings that adorn the streets, graveyards, and beaches of China. Intricate paper models are shaped from worldly possessions and status symbols, such as household goods, sometimes entire wardrobes, musical instruments, and even paper money, known as hell notes. Boy, they're only valid in some some of the bands I've heard lately. You might call them hell notes. Ha-ha. They're only valid in the underworld. Uh, these are used to keep the angry spirits happy for this one night. Anyway, the winner was Courtney Shavola of Johnston, Rhode Island. Okay, and our question for this week is where does the lake monster known as Messy, not Nessie, Messy, live? That sounds like your brother's room. Uh, and uh, yours, too, sometimes. Or all the time. Yeah. Well, pull that off anyway and win a copy of Cryptozoology A to Z by Lauren Coleman. Call us locally again, 401-766-1240 or nationally, 800-449-1240. If nobody gets it by the end of the show... Drop a line to me at paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, let's move on to some of our emails. Pick some really interesting ones for tonight that have come in hither and yon over the past, uh, well, several months, actually. Uh, here is one from Bethany Bazzano in North Providence, Rhode Island. It has to do with ghosts. You know, it always says use full name, no, and you always say the full name. Oh, dear, I'm sorry. 
Okay, so maybe it's a fake name. Well, anyway, uh, Bethany writes to us. I love what you say about loved ones and how we all still have a relationship with them. But if you have me, uh, but you have me so nervous being faked out that I I would be too scared to make a decision if I ran into a loved one. Okay, now by loved ones, I think we can assume she means someone who's passed away. Yes. All right. Or as we say, translated. I don't like passed away. It's not, not like you run into your relatives at like a that you don't like at like a family gathering, and you're just like, what do I do? Well, that can happen too, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but okay, I, I think what what she's asking here is that we we have we put out a lot of warnings about not trusting everything. As a matter of fact, we say, and there's somebody else later on who says there's that we have said there's nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. And I think that one, one of the mistakes, and I'm sure you agree, Ben, is, is that when investigators go out and they look at all these cases, and they, whether it be ghosts or, or psychics or whatever, or even sometimes UFOs and cryptozoology, they assume that it is what it looks like because that's the way we, we're brought up. We're brought up to trust our five senses, and I don't think that's valid. Yes. At the start at the beginning. So I think what we're saying is one of the big pieces of advice is don't trust your mind. Like don't listen to it because the mind plays tricks on you. No, that's true. Well, again, the mind has to be part of a greater whole. Yes. When it comes to knowing. Not everything separated like we have it in our culture. That's it. So when you have someone in your house, you know, bounding down the hallway and who looks like a loved one, a relative, say your father or mother who who recently was translated, if we say that, uh, or an uncle or aunt, whatever, uh, even a child, uh, I just uh, well, I say. We say, don't trust it right away. And people say, okay, well, how do you tell? I say, well, you look into your heart, and if you have a deep feeling of love and recognition, I think that if you're honest with yourself about those feelings, I think those generally can be trusted. I don't think that parasites, as we call them, uh, folklore known as demons, etc., would, would give you that feeling. I don't think they are, they are frequently will. That's one of the reasons we say don't trust everything in the paranormal because it's not what it appears to be. These en- these entities who want to literally suck your energy don't give you. They may look or come across like or act like or sound like a loved one, but they won't come across with that that deep feeling of connection. Like your brother-in-law. Well, you know, what like, about my brother? Some some people have brothers-in-laws that just mooch off them forever and ever. Yeah, unfortunately, like, I don't. Want, any of your uncles do that to me? Well, no. No. In certain cases. No, they all live too far away. And I like I like most of my I like my brothers-in-law. Anyway, all right. So so that's essentially the thing. But apparently, we've been saying that, and uh, our our uh, correspondent is is afraid to trust anything. Now, I would ask um, if you ha- have had experiences. That are possibly someone who is is uh, a loved one, and I think that you probably might answer yes because it's a very frequent experience. We're all connected all the time, everywhere, and as we say, every when, and uh, that that connection is not necessarily broken. Although we should say there, there's um, there are some people, and I'm thinking of Dave Kane, our friend uh, for, with the 41 Signs of Hope book. Who uh, and he and his family have been very intimately connected with uh, their son, who was uh, who perished in the Station nightclub fire uh, in Rhode Island here in '03, and they frequently have uh, contact with him through the number 41. We've done whole shows on that before, and people will say, "Well, gee, how come you know I lost my child or father or something? I don't hear hear a word." 
Well, sometimes it's just time to say goodbye. In our belief system, something like this happens. People ask, of course, the ultimate question, what happens when we quote-unquote die? Well, I think we, our consciousness moves to where it already is in a parallel reality where we're already living that is the path of least resistance. In other words, I think that, that you wake up, if you want to say it, or you suddenly become conscious, or you gradually become conscious. I don't know quite how it works. But I think that you make your own bed in the multiverse, as it were, in this world of parallel worlds, and you will wake up or, or whatever or become conscious or, or carry on life where you already are in a place where you're very much like what you are now. If you have advanced, I think, in this life, in this conscious reality, uh, such as realizing that it's not about you, that it's about other people, then you can make an advanced step and become a, perhaps, if you want to say, more enlightened wake up in a more enlightened consciousness or reality. I think that's pretty much how it works. So what you, what you need to do is to simply not be afraid of everything, but just be quiet, take the feelings as they come, and if you do feel that great connection, that love, then um, with whoever this may be, then uh, I think you're going to recognize who it is and uh, and a loved one will remain a loved one. I think that's essentially how it works. All right, so here's one from, doesn't say, I'll, I'll just say Gail in Boston. Okay, how's that been? There. All right, this is about aliens. Okay, so Gail writes to us. Uh, for a couple of guys who talk about un- universal unity all the time, uh, you both, well, you both seem very skeptical about the exopolitics movement. Do you believe all aliens are evil? If so, how does that fit into your unity? All right. Well, that's a, that's relatively clear, but I think it's some of it needs some explanation. All right. The question: What was exopolitics? Oh, uh, don't forget universal unity, because it's not universal right. multiverse. To right. The, right. To right. Put... Well, first of all, exopolitics, and we've done a couple of shows on this, is the idea that we should prepare to communicate with beings from other planets or at least other realities who uh, generally are assumed to be piloting flying saucers in the UFO. Okay, why would they care about our politics? That's one thing. Like, why would they... Well, I've not, I don't know. I, I haven't always heard the same approach to this by, by those who... And there are many very prominent people involved in this movement. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, who was on the show, a great astronaut from Apollo 14 who had a... On the way back from... Actually, on the moon and on the way back from the moon had a tremendous mystical experience in his life he said that changed his life and he saw the unity of all things and he saw the need for peace among all all creatures and a, almost a, a very buddhist uh, approach to compassion and things of this kind so he uh, was on the show and he is a great uh, uh, advocate of exopolitics and there are conventions on this a number of our friends who've been on the show uh, including kyle dayton and others from arizona have been very much involved in this movement so exopolitics is the idea of preparing to receive and discuss things with, or maybe even start discussing things with those from other worlds, All right, uh, with the idea that they have our best interests in mind and that they are back or are arriving to make things better for us. Okay. Now, I'm, now naturally, especially given the, the, last, uh, the first email we started with, uh, things are not what they appear to be in the paranormal, I think Ben and I are naturally a little bit suspicious about all this. Uh, Not all things are cute and fuzzy in the world. Yeah. Now, uh, we hope 
that if there are uh, aliens of this kind, that they are nice and will uh, bring us a, a certain amount of enlightenment and everything else. But if you look at the history of colonization, uh, or maybe not even colon, even, even con- intercultural contact, especially in the uh, uh, well, in the middle centuries, the last millennium, it wasn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, we often hear that, of course, the, the uh, English and the Spanish and the French came to North America, and uh, one of the terrible results was, of course, the, the destruction, inadvertently or inadvertently, of the native cultures. And the infection of a lot of the native peoples with diseases to which they had no immunity. Although one one thing kind of I kind of wonder how come the Europeans didn't get sick from diseases to which they didn't have any. I don't know. Maybe they're magic. Nobody seems to have answered that. But in any case, uh, it has not been a good experience in general when it comes to these cross cultural uh, contacts. So one would think that okay maybe the aliens are advanced in some way technologically and maybe they probably thought of that. All right, fine. What about the, the movie Mars Attacks? What if it ends up like that? Well, that's, that's supposed to be a spoof. Well, it is a spoof, but it's perfectly plausible if something like that sure, happens. Yeah, it is plausible, yeah. Oh. yeah. And I'm a little fuzzy, too. I would like to know more about what these aliens are. And we have had show after show after show with, with, with eminent experts, and we're still really no closer. We, we did 16 hours on the air, uh, not on this station, but on between CBS and between uh, our, our internet station in South Dakota, on the Rendlesham UFO case of 1980. Now, that was, of course, as if you didn't pick up on that, that was uh, twin NATO bases uh, in air bases in England in 1980. And in December of that year, over a three- to five-day period, there were remarkable, mind-wrenching, and undeniable UFO landings, contact probably, uh, and all sorts of, uh, you know, multiple witnesses, including high-ranking military officers, saw this activity in Rendlesham Forest, which was adjacent to these bases. Yeah. And we had uh, uh, show after show with eyewitnesses, including uh, Colonel Halt, who was the base deputy commander at the time. And we uh, took this case apart and put it back together in, in five or six different ways. In the end, the and this came out under hypnosis, two of the witnesses believed these were not aliens in the normal sense of the word, in the sense that they were from other planets or even other worlds. They were time travelers from our future, they believed. And we're talking primarily about Jim Penniston and his experience of the of touching the craft, one of the craft that had landed in the woods when he was, of course, out there on patrol, touching the craft, feeling it very warm to the touch, couldn't identify the material, and noting strange markings on the side, but like some sort of writing or insignia, which he wrote down, and it's been passed around in the past 30 years, and no one's quite translated it yet, and feeling that he, that there was a binary code downloaded to his mind that came out again under hypnosis, and that he felt compelled to write down. And this code, and of course, they'll only, they're like Ben and me in a way, they'll only go, we are privy to certain information, or believe we are, that we're not talking about on the air when it comes to this or that. Uh, and, but, and the same thing is true of Jim and, and John when it comes to Rendlesham. They believe that they're privy to information about this code. But essentially, what the, all they will say is that in the, the remote future, there are some issues in one world or another with the human race, and they had to come back to sort of regenerate their, 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 the content of their DNA or so, something to that effect. That's as far as they'll, 
they'll even hint. So my question here, and this goes back to Gail's question, what are these aliens? What do they want? How do we, with so many different worlds out there, if we're right about the multiverse, I mean, how many millions of kinds of aliens could there be? Yeah. And what we run into in our cases are these, as it were, again, these parasites. They are not our friends. And they, they can very easily mimic, as do many things in nature, mimic your loved ones or nice aliens, I suppose, landing in a flying saucer. I, just, I don't trust these critters, all right? There are, now, uh, that being said, Ben and I, I'll just say, will work at times with people from other species, if you want to call it that. I don't want to go much farther than that. But uh, they are very good. Seemingly, and, and help us, and that, I, that's just my feeling on it, Ben. What, what would you say to to Gail here? It's certainly not all aliens. Are well, by them. unity, think of the yin and yang. You need the good and the bad in everything. That's true for the balance. Yeah. That's so true. unity could be balance. Yeah. It could be interpreted as a lot of things. Because when we talk about this unity, we're talking about a sort of um, complete, indiscriminate unity of all things, such such as the the uh, Australian Aborigines might have said, uh, might have described the dream time. Uh, time before time, as they call it, when uh, things were less disheveled. Now, the question for our Western minds is, and, and, and this comes out in the idea, well, if God's good, why do all these bad things happen? And uh, how come every, you know, how come my, my uh, loved one died and everything else, and, and you know, God must be bad? You know, the world is not made for our comfort. And it does, that does not, I mean, just because bad things happen to us, things to, to us are bad, just because they happen doesn't mean that the world is not perfect. I don't mean just the world. I mean the, the multiverse, the entire system. Because it's bigger than us. It's not about us uh, as individuals. It's about all of us in a balance. So Ben's right. These these bad things, things to us that are bad, may balance things out in, in a very strange way to literally make things perfect. It's a hard concept for us because we're used... Much of our Western spirituality... Is based was, on the individual. It's very, very egotistical. Whether it be Christian or Jewish or Muslim, which is not a lot of Western spirituality, but in a way it kind of is. Uh, it's because you know Christianity came out of the Middle East too. Yeah. Uh, it's. I think we have to think about that. It's very, very egotistical in many ways. So anyway, I think that um, we have to be open-minded, Gail, when it comes to these matters of, of aliens, if that's what they really are. We have to be open-minded to the idea that they may be us, as Jim and John say in the Rendlesham experience from the future or from the past or whatever you know puny terms you want to use and we have to just be open but not not naive open but not naive yes all right okay now this one is oh this is a good one this is from marty calligan in new york city it has to do with the exmoor beast uh, you're doing really terrible with these last names. Um, in your book, Footsteps in the Attic, <laughs> you talk about going to England in 1989 to investigate the, the Beast of Exmoor. You didn't say much about it then. I've read everything you've written and heard every show you've ever done on the radio, but you still haven't talked about that investigation. I'd love to hear about it. Well, all right. Well, the Exmoor Beast. Well, that's different. The Exmoor, Exmoor is, a, is a lovely area of southern Devonshire in England, the, the county of Devon, which is in the southwest part of the country 
in the, the West Country, as they call it. It's very lovely. As a matter of fact, it's a national park. Now, Devon uh, reaches, if anybody is familiar with their map, there's a peninsula of southwestern England that comes out and involves Cornwall, Devon, and Somerset. And this is kind of in the middle of that peninsula. And the northern part of Devon uh, touches the, the ocean in the northern part of the peninsula, and the southern part down near uh, Exeter and Torquay and the resort areas, uh, the English Riviera, as they call it, uh, which is a great resort area for them in uh, vacation time. So it's a lovely area. However, it has one major problem, especially if you're a sheep farmer. Around about the 1960s, there seemed to be the appearance of a creature that resemble or creatures that resemble very large cats, pumas, cougars, this sort of thing. Black panthers would be seen, and this really picked up in the 1970s. So in 1989, uh, and, and of course this, this was well known. People were were concerned about it. A lot of sheep were being lost, and as a matter of fact, the Royal Marines uh, had an exercise on the uh, moors, as they called. These are these are uh, lo- rather lovely. I tend to like austere countryside and this sort of thing. And this is an area of, of a wilderness where there are a lot of swamps and uh, open country. It's very cold a lot of the times and kind of grim. But anyway, the, the Marines were having an exercise there. And they actually saw on several occasions this creature or, or creatures and uh, watched it stalking along the hedgerows looking for the sheep. And it seemed to be a large uh, cat. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that... that since the last ice age, at least, large cat, big cats uh, of the puma, cougar, mountain lion type have not been native to Britain. All right, and this has been the problem. So, uh, in 1989, I uh, went over there to uh, do a magazine article, and it was uh, on this this creature or these creatures. And what uh, it was very interesting. I remember I, I had just arrived, and I, I arrived in London by air, and there were two old farmers. And I was the most exciting thing that had happened to them since World War One, And we had a wonderful time. <laughs> we drove the 220 miles to the western part of the country to go to uh, a lovely uh, cottage that had been assigned to me, 14th century cottage. It was just a wonderful trip. But we went out uh, almost immediately that afternoon. And with the police, all I could think of was the uh, the final scene of the 1929 movie with Lon Chaney uh, of uh, Frankenstein, uh, where they're all they're carrying torches, running up to the castle, all screaming, and they've had enough of the monster attacking them. And it was, there were the, the police and uh, a couple of farmers with shotguns, and oh, they went this way, you know, when they could see th- these huge cat-like tracks. And uh, they were fresh, and, you know, I learned some tracking in the military, and uh, you find out that if, you know, mud or snow tracks, if they're there for a few days, if the snow starts to melt, the tracks will look bigger, that sort of thing, same thing in ice. Uh, but these uh, these were fresh, and we went, in, we got into this really strange forest, and uh, we didn't, I, I never saw the creature, but these tracks, I'll never forget the, them, and I'll never forget some of the sheep kills. And in the, in this weird forest... You could feel something looking at you. I swear it was in there, but we didn't quite see it and because it realized that these guys had guns probably. So what this is, uh, when I, the people who had hired me to go and write this uh, were a little disappointed. They wanted Loch Ness or they wanted some serious cryptid here. But I think what happened was that Parliament in, in London passed the Animals Act in the early 70s, which uh, said you can't have any more of these weird or dangerous animals unless you register them. And I can just picture some old officer, retired officer from the British Raj who brought a, you know, mountain lion or a tiger or something back from India 
and just letting it go into the into the wilderness. Not a responsible thing to do. But how would it do. breed? Well, that was the thing. There were a lot of uh, wild cats and lynxes, and it, it, it looked to me, and I'm, not, I'm no expert in biology or anything. This isn't even my field, but it seemed to me and to some of the experts whom I dis- discussed this with that these were hybrids of some sort of panthers and local cats, uh, not necessarily domestic cats, but local lynxes and wild cats, things of this kind, because we did find some hair samples, and they were sent to a veterinary laboratory in Exeter, and they came back, they, did, they tested it, and they said it came from a domestic cat, and it was like four inches long. I mean, some cat, and it was thick, so some domestic cat. I think our, our cat's bad, though. So in any case, this is the background of what occurred here. So I uh, interviewed a number of interesting people, including uh, Officer, or rather I should say Sergeant John Goodman at the time of the uh, uh, constabulary, the, the Devonshire Police, County Police. And he was saying how he had had uh, personal sightings of this thing. Uh, police officers had, uh, oh, okay, police officers had uh, seen it as well, and uh, it was well known that it existed. So uh, what I did was, of course, to um, uh, try and document as many people, uh, uh, sightings as I could and things of this kind. Other people have done the same thing. And uh, that's essentially the background of that. I didn't see it. Uh, it was um, I, There was an article published on it, uh, but I don't know where you can get it now. It's long gone probably. Um, and I will continue this. We do have a caller. Uh, we have Kyle Dayton from Arizona. Kyle, you can relieve us of the uh, Beast of Exmoor. And how, <laughs> how are you doing? You're feeling better? Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So what's going on down in the Southwest? Kyle Dayton is our Southwestern show reporter uh, with a special thing in UFOs. What's happening? Well, you know, I wanted to mention before that I was going to talk about one of the most haunted hotels in the Southwest, but I wanted to make a brief comment that you had mentioned about um, if there are um, extraterrestrials and they came to this planet, it might well, not she be heard a great idea. You know? Yes, yes. And, you know, and I think you have the same kind of attitude that, or the same kind of a point of view that Stephen Hawking has on it, where he says, you know, it's not a great idea always for the advanced civilization to come to the less advanced civilization because it destroys the less advanced civilization in so many words, you know, and I thought, you know, that made me think of what you were saying. It, you know, it does make a lot of sense. Well, just about so, my question, and I don't ask you this because you've been a guest on the show before. What do you mean by advanced? I mean, we just assume in our technological society, you know, we're, we're, we're drunk with technology in this society, that advancement means having more get more and better gadgets. I think advancement means having a higher soul, higher-minded thoughts, uh, being more spiritual. I mean, uh, that's maybe that's me. I don't know. Well, you know, I think that I think that there's there's just as there's good and not so good people. There's probably other places that have life that's good and not so good. Yeah. You sure. know, and I think that yeah, I also do think that that's part of the the package is the, the the when I say advanced, I do mean spiritually advanced. So I guess in that way it would be good, but in the other way, you know, if if there's there could be a problem in our society. I mean, I haven't really thought about it that that much, but but um, yeah, I think that you know Stephen Hawking has a good point. Yeah, you know, you yeah. take the good with the bad. But and I and what you said reminded me of his attitude too. And and, and I thought, yeah, I should wanted to mention that. Well, I've been too. compared with worse people. You, you, yes, right. I mean, you're in very good company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, but um, are you coming up in a break or? Uh, no, not. Oh, actually, uh, well, we probably. Well, no, let, let, let's keep. We'll, we'll do the break in a few minutes. But go ahead. Oh. Okay, well, I wanted to mention uh, um, a little bit today about the Gadsden Hotel in Douglas, Arizona. It's in the southeast corner of the state and about a mile from the Mexican border. Uh, they call this the last of the grand hotels, and it is a hotbed of paranormal activity. 
uh, let me see, a little background. It was built in 1907 while Arizona was still a territory. In 1927, it was leveled by a fire. It was rebuilt and then reopened in 1929. And at the time, it was owned by whiskey tycoon William McKay. The hotel is five stories tall and has 160 rooms. And around 1998, uh, actually 1988, um, it was... Uh, purchased by Doris and Hartman Breckhus, and it had been going into dis disrepair, and around this time was when the so-called Gadsden Ghost started making its appearances. But before that, in 76, the National Register of Historic Places proclaimed the hotel a National Historic Monument. Let me see, and it's a beautiful place. It's ornate. Its lobby in, is made of white Italian marble staircase, and it's got four marble columns, each topped with 14-karat gold leaf, which in 1929 was valued at $20,000, so it's probably worth a fortune today. Yeah. And across, yes, and across one wall of the mezzanine is an authentic Tiffany stained glass mural that's 42 feet long. The full length of the lobby has vaulted stained glass skylights, and the plumbing throughout is entirely copper, with the building made of structural steel and reinforced concrete. And even that it's famous for as a location for various movies which have been filmed here, and even Tom Mix stayed there in one of the rooms the night before he died. And there's so many activities going on here, anomalous and ghostly, that the hotel keeps a logbook for people to record their anomalous experiences. Yes, the various ghostly apparitions seen here include a woman dressed in fancy clothes who may or may not be the ghost referred to as Sarah, the elderly guest who's been seen on the fourth floor. A ghost of an Indian boy playing on the mezzanine has also been reported. There's also been a report of a rocking chair moving all by itself. Another ghost include ones that look like a cowboy, a Mexican soldier, and a headless man that appears most often during Lent or Christmas. And he's usually seen in the basement or sometimes floating down the hallways. Some witnesses say he is dressed in khaki army clothing or has a cape and his headless shoulders. And others say he's tall and wears black clothing. And this frequently seen headless ghost is believed by some to be that of Pancho Villa searching for his lost head. Are you familiar with that story? Yeah, actually, okay. I had a grand uncle who was involved with Pancho Villa. That's a long really? story. Wow, it's a, it's a small world. But, you know, supposedly and reportedly when he died in 1923, he had a hidden treasure somewhere in the mountains of northern Mexico, but the only map was tattooed on his head, I guess. And so the story goes that his loyal followers cut off his head at the time of his death, then buried it under the ashes of the Gadsden Hotel, which had recently burned. They buried it to keep the location of his treasure a secret forever. And so when the Gadsden was rebuilt, it was unknowingly rebuilt over the top of his head. And now he wanders the hallways looking for that and his treasure map. Well, that's not something you and, hear you know, every day. No, it's not. And, you know, during her 26th year of working as an elevator operator at the Gadsden, Carmen Diaz reported seeing the ghost of a tall, headless man in a black pantsuit in the basement. And, you know, and there's a legend about Pancho Villa riding up his, uh, his horse up the stairs of the lobby, and some people question that because he was assassinated in 1923 before the new hotel was built in 29. But, you know, management points out that there are newspaper accounts indicating that the marble stairs survived the fire, and on the seventh stair is a chipped surface, which some people believe that horses hooves caused. So, you well, know, and, and yes, yes, go ahead. Well, Sorry. just, you know, allowing that we've got tourism value here, I mean, I, I always... Uh, I mean, these are great stories, and of course, the, yeah. there are a lot of hotels that are full of stories like this, but I just, you know, have a, and I'm sure you do too, have a sort of a natural skepticism here, because uh, this is very good for tourism in any hotel, and I think yeah, very often, I mean, these, we run into stuff like this all the time, and I often wonder if the story isn't invented sometimes to, or doctored to uh, accommodate the phenomena or the chip in the stairs or whatever but i'm sorry go ahead i don't mean to be oh, a no, wood no, blanket okay. yeah. oh, absolutely you know and admittedly they i, I believe they, they think it's, it's good for business too and have you been they, there yeah you know, uh, not yet but i i plan to it's down by the border but you know my next road trip is going to be to the gadsden 
But yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So, but you know, and they've had their other um, reports have been from the hotel's guests, and uh, the housekeeper claimed that something slapped her in the face. And the hotel's manager, Robin Breckus, who saw the Gadsden ghost on Friday, March 13th of '92, she said at the end of a dead end hallway. At 4.10 p.m., the power in the hotel was lost. The lights went out and the clock stopped, so the staff needed candles, and she grabbed the flashlight and started down the basement to get them. And she said almost as soon as she got there, she started getting strange vibes. The hair on her neck and arms stood up. She shined her flashlight down the hall, saw nothing. She got the candles, walked back into the hall, and this time she shined her light toward the end of the hall. They had no entry or exit, and she said she saw someone standing there watching her. It looked like a cowboy wearing a cowboy hat and a long duster coat. She said he was calmly watching her. It was like he was waiting for her to acknowledge that she saw him. When she did, he kind of turned and moved down the hall. And I guess, admittedly, she used to be a skeptic, and she'd joke around and say, hey, ghost, where's the gold mine, and all this stuff like that, and, you know, kind of messing around. And now she doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> and room, Yes, in room 333, they, they had a woman that reported uh, while she was in bed, she could feel a spiritual presence snuggle up to her, and I guess it was comforting. She didn't ask for another room. And there was a, one of the movie crew was staying in the same room when he claimed in the middle of the night the light in the room turned on and off, and then his golf clubs came crashing down on the floor. Metal. Yeah, there was a. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then in the governor's suite, there was a report from a paramedic in Florida who checked in, but just a few minutes later ran into the lobby. He said there was a woman using a shower. So the assistant manager was Brenda Maley, who had worked at the hotel for over 30 years, and she was the one who given them the key. And she said she knew there was no one in the room. So when she and the paramedic checked the room, the shower was bone dry and empty, so the paramedic decided not to say, stay. One other thing, too, Brenda also claims that one evening while she was lying on her stomach in her bed in the hotel room, she saw, saw the shadow of a body hunched over her. She saw that entity immediately after she had had a strange sensation in which she suddenly could not move. So as, as with anything else that I report on, too, it's always, you know, weigh the facts, check out for yourself and make up your own mind. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Couldn't. Well, we're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be right back. I'm Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM on ONworldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. Stay with us. Hi, I'm registered dietitian Karen Tangari, reminding you to put food first. You know your mother was right. You do need to eat your fruits and vegetables. I'll be talking about food, nutrition, and you on Monday mornings after Coffee Ann, right here on OM Radio. Hi, Rick Pickard here. The great sounds of rock and roll is back every Sunday from 1 to 4. Memory Lane will be playing songs from the 50s and early 60s. Be part of the great memories and sounds. See you there. Okay, we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. On WON 1240 AM and com. And thank you, Kyle uh, Dayton in Arizona, for that report on the Gazden Hotel. And uh, let us know what happens when you, uh, when you go and, and have experiences there yourself, if you do. All right, now, we're going to, this is a rather long email. This is from uh, Caleb Tavar in Monterey, Mexico, one of our faithful listeners in uh, uh, south of the border there. And it's rather long, but it's very interesting. And uh, why don't I, you want me to, you, okay. You, you go Caleb, Caleb's English is very good, but um, I'll read this myself. 
comments. Hey, Enos, it's me, Caleb Tavar from Monterey, Mexico. Just last night I had the chance to hear the January 17th show where you talk about my last email. Thank you very much. Yeah, we do try to read these on the air. Uh, I need to warn you, this email is going to be a long one because uh, i got a couple of things that I want to share with you, and I'm going to tell you just what happened last weekend on February 13th. The story goes like this. On Saturday night, I went to a bar with a friend to get a few drinks uh, and to have some fun and to chat. Later that night, the bar closed, so my friend invited me to go to a friend's house of his. I was a little bit undecided because it was too late, but accepted the invitation. We arrived at the place... On a quite in a quite old building, the apartment was simple, just a couple of furniture, uh, as he says, a thing here and there. I felt I a little bit uncomfortable, but decided to stay anyway. I met the couple who lived there, a young man in his twenties and his girlfriend, a girl in her thirties. They were kind of cool, not my kind of people, but cool. So we were chatting when suddenly I didn't g- get what they were talking about. They talked about a guy from a from a near past a discussion about someone saying the guy was having a hard time because something he did. So I asked my friend what it was all about, and he told me, oh, the girl, she's a card reader. Now, this gets into our, the question we opened the show with, uh, how do you trust these guides and things of this kind? That's, that's another question I have. Anyway, so they're talking about a card reader. Uh, and back to my quote, uh, back to uh, Caleb's quote, and she's telling to his boyfriend about a guy uh, messed up with them or so. On the first chance I had, I asked her about her card reading. And she told me, well, I stopped using cards long ago, don't need them. Just ask a question, and my mom, quote-unquote, will give you the answer through me. Well, she says the answer's to me, and I give it to you. And Caleb writes, I was kind of surprised at this, so I decided to ask her a few things. She accepted, and a couple of minutes later, we started our session, quote-unquote. I didn't want to ask anything like really important, just everyday stuff and some non-important issues. So I did the questions, and she gave me the answers. Now, here comes the dark details. On one of the answers, her mom, quote-unquote, says that she will help me to get something. I responded, thanks, but I'm I'm not asking for any kind of help, but thanks, that's neat. She told me that I liked her, that I was very kind and a harmless guy, and that's why she offered the help. Quote, you are not her favorite because you are a good guy. She prefers rough, messy, vicious, and troubled guys, but she thinks you are cute. This apparently came from the card reader, uh, transferring the information from her quote-unquote mom. All the answers I got were some way negative, like saying the bad stuff to happen over the good stuff. So I did just four questions and and, uh, told her thank you. The other guy started the session too, and then the true nature of the quote-unquote mom was revealed. She was a kind of evil woman. She talked about doing some harm to some guy, harm to some other guy, even gave bad luck to the guy who was asking the questions that were even doing some deals. I was shocked. One of the things left me with a big, one of the questions, answers left me with a big what on my face. The girl said to to the boyfriend, Mom orders you to light a cigarette and give it to her because she wants to smoke. The guy lit the cigarette and went to a little room next to where we were seated. I asked my friend who was there, and he showed me there in the small room an altar to death, Uh, like honoring death. For sure you have heard about the Santa Muerte cult here in Mexico. That's gaining a lot of followers. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Take it away, Ben. 
Well, actually, I don't know anything about it. I've just heard about it. I've, yeah, I've heard of it, too. That's really messed okay, up. Okay, well, we, there's more. But uh, this, obviously, we're getting into what we were talking about, things in the paranormal not being what they appear to be. And here's uh, Caleb here who has, has the good sense to realize that something's not right here. And that, uh, obviously, uh, well, just this what is, we said, if, there's, if love isn't there... And there's all this negative stuff. This is fascinating. It reminds me of that story you told me about that janitor at that um, uh, convent who was a Satanist. Yes. That, yeah. That's what this that makes me think of. That was in Vermont. Yeah, that's right. Well, anyway, uh, Caleb uh, continues here. Uh, After a few minutes, we decided to leave the place, so I waved goodbye and walked home, thinking about what had just happened. Now, I'm not a ghost buster nor even a paranormal specialist, but started to realize that whatever quote-unquote mom was, for sure, it wasn't the death she needed troubled people or i think one i think he means maybe she wasn't one of the the quote-unquote dead she needed troubled people or people willing to hear what she says about the future to create a greater mess in their lives well at least that's the impression that left me and that thing about smoking since when does a quote higher entity unquote that is a vital force in the universe want to smoke (laughs) that's a good point then i remember something you said about ghosts um, Uncle Tom is not Uncle Tom, most of the cases. Uh, so I say, well, I just got my first encounter with a parasite, a real bad one. I thought that I was lucky that I was not hooked to its help, quote-unquote. But something very strange happened that night. I had one of the most the worst nightmares ever. The feeling of desolation and infinite sadness was beyond what I had expected, ex- experienced before. The next morning I was depressed and feeling extremely discouraged to even be alive. I cried during the night, my body ached, I was a mess, and no, it wasn't a hangover. Fortunately, the next day... I remember having those dreams. Really? Look forward to your comments, you're almost done. Fortunately, the next day, some good friends called me uh, with nice and and loving words. I could regain my energy again, and I felt so much better. Uh, With now my positive attitude toward life... And and, and we've been talking about Caleb before. He he lives in Mexico. There are all sorts of terrible violence going on there with the drug cartels. Uh, Monterey is one of the hot spots of that. And he has such a wonderful attitude, this fella. And we're so so pleased to know him and to hear what he has to say. I like him. I like him, too. Uh, With my uh, now positive attitude toward life, I'm able to understand what happened that night and learned a lesson. To be very careful about people who claim to have guides and who claimed to offer help. I sent my blessings to this, these guys and prayed for them. I don't want to imagine what lies in the future with such help around. That's well put, Caleb. Well, that was my quite eerie story of my last weekend. Oh, one more thing. Uh, the girl told me that she had been listening to her mom, quote-unquote, since she was six years old. I think she is about 34 or 36 years old by now. Scary, huh? Well, Enos, I have uh, some more things to share with you, uh, even some updates on our haunted exhibition room. We dealt with that in the email some weeks ago. Uh, Some kind of strange phenomena on the part of Central Mexico and some multiverse stuff here at my job. Peace, love, and blessings to you guys. Well, the same to you, Caleb, and well done on this. Well, here we have a perfect example of what we're saying. And you know, all this negative stuff, and you wonder why this person who is, if you want to say, channeling, this mom would even do this. Isn't picking up on this negative stuff. It's the promise of power. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A lot of ego here. That's yeah. all it is. It's just straight selfishness. Yeah. And people very often will say, gee, you know, I might not be successful at this. I might have bombed out at that. But, hey, I am being paid attention to by this cosmic being. I must be really special. 
Well, there is a cosmic being who pays attention to us, and we usually call him, her, her it, or them God. And it's about love. So, Ben, uh, what, what's, what's your comment on this? This is really something. Well, those dreams he had, I remember having those, too, in my, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Dark well, the, Night of the Soul. That. Dark Night of the Soul, yes. yes. Yeah. It went on for three years. It was awful. Yeah. St. John of the Cross, uh, one of the Western saints, talked about the dark night of the soul that you go through before you reach the dawn. Ugh. And uh, you, you, uh, you've had some interesting spiritual experiences with things very much like this. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Caleb, uh, we're with you, buddy. And, uh, yeah, I know. Keep up the great work and uh, keep up that positive thing. Positive thinking is everything. Positive life and positive acting is like everything. That kid I used to be friends with in high school is now a Satanist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's something we've never done a show on, Satanism. I never quite... Uh, eh, not really ready for that yet. No, and I don't, I don't frankly, you know, I'm, we try to be open-minded here, and we, you know, we have Wiccans on, but that is not the same thing. No. I find Wicca to be very positive. Well, there's like three kinds of Wiccans. There's the Wiccans that do it for attention, there are the Wiccans that are like gardenarians, and then there are the Wiccans that like to put spells on people and things like that. Well, I mean, it's 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 an earth-based religion that I have found, and, and my, my experience with a lot of Wiccans, I must admit, has been with older people who are parents, who've been around the block spiritually, have some sense of maturity, and they, they take it and use it for what then is they're best the, in it. Then there are the teenagers. There are the kids who want power, and th- th- then they, they end up, yeah. it, it, it's demonic. And then they give, they give the gardenarians and people like that a bad name. And yeah, uh, that, well, that's it. You know, the, guard, the gardenarian tradition of witchcraft, which really isn't a very old tradition, which tried to revive it, that, that's another yeah. uh, story. But in any case, uh, I think you really have to take people where they are, where they're coming from. Yeah. And, uh, and and just move from there. I mean, it's movements and labels. And listen and, to your gut. Yeah, really. Listen to your, your inner inner self, your heart, and your soul. Um, okay, well, we got time for... Well, we're doing some pretty good Thanks. coverage tonight. Okay, here is... Uh, <laughs> this is one from uh, Brittany in Albany, New York. Excellent job. Okay. Okay. So, <clears throat> Brittany writes to us, I love you guys, and I think I've heard every one of your shows. But there are times when you drive me buggy. <laughs> I heard you on Sancho Joe's the other night, and just want and you just won't come out and say what you think will really happen starting in 2012. You sound like you know you you that, but you just won't say it. Spit it out for God's sake. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being so uh, frank, Brittany. And I, I think what you're referring to, Sancho Jones is the host of the Red Sector radio show. Ben and I were on that the other night. We had a, a good time with, with Sancho. And uh, it's a popular Internet show. And we, well, I guess on the air I said, gee, Ben, how far do you want to go with this? And I probably should have should have done that off air. It's okay. But we're talking about the issue of what is going to happen, if anything, in 2012, which is, of course, just next year. And the the period following that, and, and uh, a lot of people think, you know, popularly that the world is just going to end on December 21st, 2012. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, like, no, I mean, and I don't know. I suppose that's possible. Yeah. But it's based on Mayan prophecies and the prophecies of about 33 other groups from the ancient world, including even the Swedes. Uh, believe it or not, they were ancient Swedes. And they were all talking about the world as we know it ending. And that could mean anything. It could be good, it could be bad, it could be neutral. And I, I don't know, I, I, I really think, I'm a great advocate of the frog on the hot plate theory. I think that things things happen to us gradually, we don't notice them as much. 
you know, things uh, things get worse uh, paranormally. Things increase in in. Uh, it's like Beetlejuice. People just don't want to notice them. Well, that's true. And, and th- things uh, things increase in intensity, and we don't notice them because it's gradual. If it all happened in one day, uh, climate change, say, or or, or uh, a pole shift or something happened in one day, we'd sure notice that. But if it happens gradually, you know, the frog sits on the hot plate and gets cooked if it's if it's heated up gradually, supposedly. So that's what I think may be happening from 2012 to 2016 or so. And the only thing I, I really uh, think is, is interesting is the astronomical aspect of it. With, with all the uh, the great plane, so to speak, P-L-A-I-N, the great flattening of the solar system, the galaxy, uh, the super galaxy, all the galaxies around us, in this part, even I think it's even the, yeah, it is the whole galaxy, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, it just this this happens every 660 million years, and it seems from our knowledge of such as it is of the past, every 660 million years there is a mass extinction, big time. Something happens. The, and the, I'm not even talking about the dinosaurs. I'm talking about the Precambrian era, where uh, you look in the fossil record and you see there was a whole set of life forms before that. Everything ended. And there were entirely different life forms somehow cropped up shortly after that. So this happens every 660 million Why years. Why does no one mention this stuff? Well, they mentioned it on this show. Well, on Pierlon the- did. Well, I don't know. I suppose a lot of people, again, we put things together. A lot of people take things apart and they don't get it. Not that we're so special, but we think in a different way. And, but, and this, if you look at the fossil history, this is what it, it seems to say. Yeah. So if this is happening, well, sayonara. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, or... Um, what you want us to spit it out? Well, we we believe that there will be some sort of change, and that a number of people will be prepared to help others. If you want to say traverse the worlds or or or, or make some sort of a shift that will accompany this shift, and I, I really don't want to say any more right now. I was really not ready. It's gonna be fun. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it'll be different. So, in any case, uh, I, I'd like to spit it all out, but we just don't know yet. Brittany, uh, exactly what is going to happen, if anything. But again, uh, I don't think it's going to be necessarily bad. Uh, I think there will be some changes, but things always change. Society always changes. Populations change. Uh, nations change. So it's all part of the natural flow, I think. Uh, we do not have much time, but there is a quick one here from Kara M. in New York City. Oh, boy. New York City, and this is a complicated one. Anyway, your question is, what do near-death experiences mean for Paul's idea that when we die, we just move from one parallel life to another? I'm not even going to try to answer that because we haven't got the time. Yes. Dan, what do, you, what do you think about the show tonight, some of the things we, we've said and that have come up? It was fun. It was really wacky. Yeah. Well, that's one thing we like to be is wacky. I don't so, know. I can't think of a good word to describe it so wacky is the first thing well, I Well, I, I, like I like the real clarifications of the idea that just be careful. Everything in the paranormal is not necessarily what it appears to be. Practice it's spiritual common sense. Spiritual common sense. That's that's really good. Yeah. I said that like five shows ago, and you're like, that is great. It is great. Copyright yeah. that. Well, I'll say things. I'm supposed to be the, the professional editor here, and I'll say things in ten words. You say them in one or two, and really sum it up. Now, I wanted to tell you about March 20th. We're going to be doing a show. Uh, we're going to be doing it on our CBS slot on Sunday night, and it's going to be something special. We're going to work real hard on it, and we're going to be dealing with the paranormal, and the family. Now, we've had themes like that before. But I want to address, and some uh, listeners have asked this, I want to address the issue of what do you do if you're a parent 
and all of a sudden if you find out your, your, your children or a child is involved in the paranormal or the occult, not the same thing. Or from Ben's point of view, uh, what do you do if that happens to you? How do you deal with your parents? Or sometimes a, a young person will come up and find out that their parents are involved in the occult. There, are, there literally are cults and things of this kind. The parents get involved and the kids don't know about it and the kids can be frightened. So we're going to deal with that March 20th and we'll talk more about it as we go. But we're going to put a lot of work into that show as we always do into all our shows and try and provide some insight for parents and, and everybody else on that. So why don't we take it away here, Ben? And, uh, okay. So many thanks to our producer, Craig Pelletier, and we'll see you next Monday, February 28th, when my dad and I will welcome back Long... Uh, well, well, Jody Long. Oh, okay. Well, just as Long. So, <laughs> well, expert on near-death experiences. And we'll talk about some new developments in that field. And that's at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific, right here on WON, 1240 AM, and com. Could be either Long, because Jeffrey Long, Dr. Jeffrey Long is a big expert in this, and so is his wife, or Jody. Just someone Jody's that's, going to be our guest. Or someone that's just Long. Yeah, very, very tall. One of our friends from what we're well, anyway. In the meantime, uh, tune in to our Sunday evening uh, CBS Radio Edition in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com on February 27th. We'll be talking with Ohio-based writer, speaker, and broadcaster Bobby Nelson about how he went from being a true-believing ghost hunter to being a confirmed skeptic. I can't wait for that. Oh, interesting, interesting, and more interesting. And remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows, along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And next week also, uh, we would be doing our uh, annual, our annual, our monthly end of the month uh, pa- uh, paranormal marathon, so to speak. But we're going to be doing a rebroadcast on our uh, internet show, which is at chiefradio.com, Sunday three to five p.m. Eastern. Uh, noon to two Pacific, and uh, I uh, we were I don't know what that's he's going to rebroadcast, but it should be interesting. We've oh, done sixteen be, hours on on uh, it's like a wild card on in, on uh, Randall Shum, so I think we we need a rest. So in any case, I wanted to end uh, with a um, thought provoking quote from that old darling Albert Einstein. Quote: Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. Thank you for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.